Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo-Daily. They don't need to join NATO uh, to be a democracy. Russia see uh, Ukraine joining NATO as a threat on their borders. They're not joining NATO to become a democracy. They're joining, they want to join the European Union to help their economies and, and democracy, but they're joining NATO for security. I'm Siobhan McGuire, and the two voices you just heard there are from John Halligan, former TD and former Minister of State, and Donaka O'Bacoin, Professor of Politics at Dublin City University. And they, like so many of us, have their eyes and ears on the ongoing tensions between Ukraine and Russia. Being very, very clear to people that they should leave Ukraine now. In the last 24 hours, up to 1,000 Russian troops with heavy weapons moved into the area, according to U.S. military intelligence. This is a very, very dangerous, difficult situation. We are on the edge of a, of a precipice. There are real efforts to prevent a military invasion of Ukraine, and I think uh, we should be doubling down on those efforts. And there is still time for diplomacy. There's still time for Russia to step back from the brink. And indeed, the myriad diplomatic talks that are underway as well. During the hour-long conversation, the White House says President Biden urged President Putin to engage in de-escalation and diplomacy. But the time for diplomacy is running thin. So in recent days, we've had foreign leaders lining up to meet uh, Vladimir Putin over the ongoing tensions. Macron, Biden, German Chancellor Schultz. Donica, can diplomacy win out? Well, from the beginning, I mean, Putin has been testing uh, the EU's and NATO's response to essentially how far it's willing to go to protect Ukraine. I mean, he wants Ukraine. I mean, that's quite clear. Now, he's lost the affections, the hearts and minds of the vast majority of people living in Ukraine. So he's he's given up on that, which is why he's reaching out to Joe Biden. He's reaching out to European leaders to say, will you, will you, what, what will you do? If I make moves on Ukraine, let me. So I'm moving my troops now. What will you do? And what we've seen since 2014 is that Europe is divided, uh, and in terms of supporting Ukraine, is weak um, because it it has made it clear that if Russia does further invade uh, Ukraine and further occupy Ukraine, it will not militarily do anything. Uh, and then in terms of the sanctions, they can't even agree 
uh, on, on basic fundamentals. I mean, here we are eight years later after the annexation of Crimea and eight years after the, the stimulation of, of conflict in southeastern Ukraine and Donbass and Luhansk. And rather than actually trying to uh, appraise how well the sanctions have worked in, in modifying Kremlin aggression towards Ukraine, we're actually gone to square one minus and we're saying, well, how can we stop him doing even more? And that tells you how, how weak and effective. So it's not a matter of a strong NATO pushing itself into Ukraine. This is a matter of Ukraine being bullied by its neighbor who has bullied it historically. There's a long history here, which, by the way, the Russians don't even acknowledge. They see that their relationship with Ukraine has been a happy one until the West intervened, when Ukrainians will tell you it has been anything but. Um, and, 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 and they see, you know, Vladimir Putin talking with Macron and, and, and with Joe Biden, and they're not at the table. Their future and destiny is being discussed um, because Vladimir Putin doesn't want to talk to the EU as a collective. He, he, he much prefers to talk to anybody else except the Ukrainian people because he knows what the Ukrainian people want. And that's the dictatorial attitude. And again, you know, to bring it back to uh, what America is doing here, America is doing there, that's not the issue at hand. And I, I, I have to question the motives of people who are engaged in this whataboutery. Uh, this is about Ukraine and what Ukrainians want. There are Russians living in many different countries. And indeed, there are Ukrainians living in different many countries. The difference is, is that their governments aren't saying that because there are ethnic Russians uh, living in another country that they have a right to rule that, that, that territory. You can only ask the, the Chechens or, or the people in Tartarstan uh, in, in Russia how much Russia is willing to defend the rights of small peoples within Russia. John, has the focus uh, in, in terms of the, the larger debate slightly lost its way? Should we be uh, focused, as Dunnock has just said, entirely on uh, the issue at hand, uh, what is happening within Ukraine and how the people of Ukraine currently feel? Well, immediately, of course we should. We don't want to see uh, violence of any sort uh, on the Ukrainian and Russian border. It would be disastrous for Europe and catastrophic uh, for both countries. Uh, uh, with debts and uh, the effects on their economy. But again, I think that um, sanctions against Russia, I'm not too sure. I think they have reserves of 13 billion or more. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, but sanctions don't appear to uh, affect them. Uh, if there's not going to be a war, which we don't want, between Ukraine and uh, Russia, because I don't think there would be any winners. Russia might win it militarily, but economically it might be disastrous for them. Well, then we need to get down and start uh, talking to Russia. Uh, surely that's the way forward in the future uh, with countries that are surrounding Russia, that uh, whether it be NATO, America, the European Union, uh, but we talk to Russia and talk about the fears that they might have, forgetting, again, that they are led by a dictator. I've never denied that, and I would not say otherwise. But we must take into consideration, uh, uh, as we are taking into consideration the people in Ukraine, the people in Russia, and uh, um, to avert uh, this war and future conflicts, it's all about sitting down, negotiating, and talking about safeguarding countries' borders. And that's what it's about. Donica here is chomping at the bit. You're dying to get back in here. This is an issue that's that's about Ukraine first and foremost, but it's a bigger issue than Ukraine. It's it's fundamentally about the the right of 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 countries uh, to choose their own destiny politically and geopolitically. Um, Ukraine is is at the heart of Europe. It borders the European Union. We have seen many countries take the path that Ukraine is trying to take. 14 members uh, of NATO of the 30, so almost half have joined uh, since since uh, the end of the Cold War. 16 of the European Union's 27 members have joined since the end of the Cold War. And most of them have emerged from Communist Party dictatorships. Uh, and they have seen 
uh, in doing so that they were again escaping Kremlin aggression, but also creating uh, a new era of, of of stability and prosperity, which of course, as we know, as members of the European Union, isn't isn't perfect. There's ups and downs, but certainly it's better than the alternatives. And I think the people of Ukraine have a right to make that decision. And as I said, it's not a matter for 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 Russia to determine what their geopolitical future is. I think we should be asking ourselves when this crisis subsides, which hopefully it will. How how we can reverse the the occupation and 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 invasion that occurred in 2014? Because irrespective of what happens in the next 24 hours or the next week, Ukraine will still be occupied and it will still be invaded. And the, and 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 that is a that is something that I think that has to focus the minds of Europe. Otherwise, we invite future aggression. If we don't deter aggression like this, it's it's simply sending a signal to to other dictators that they can they can take uh, neighboring territories at will. Sorry, Siobhan, just very quickly, Iraq, Libya. Uh, Vietnam and Chile were not allowed to choose their own destinies by America. And I think that that's my view on it. Yeah, but again, John, I'm not really sure what that has to do with Ukraine right now. I mean, you, you seem to be interested in discussing every other issue except Ukraine. No, I, no, I understand, but you do cho- talk about countries choosing their own destinies. The driving force in, in Ukraine joining NATO was America. Let's not let's call a spade a spade here. Not Britain, not France, John, but John, America. John, you're, 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 call it, you're calling a, a fork a spade. It, it, this is not driven, and I've made this point ad nauseum, and as I said, I'm not sure what your familiarity is with Ukraine or how long you've spent there or how many Ukrainians you've spoken to in Ukraine. But as I said, the people of Ukraine have changed their minds over 20 years, and it's not because America was pushing NATO membership upon them, or indeed the Europeans pushing European Union membership, is that they see this as an escape route against the one proven adversary that they've had in the last 20 years. And again, if you can't acknowledge that, that that is the case, I think that there's no, there's, there's, there's no hope really. They don't find NATO to be a democracy. There, there's, most countries in the world are not members of, of NATO. Most countries in the world are democracy. So they don't need to join NATO uh, to be a democracy. Russia see uh, Ukraine joining NATO as a threat on their borders. And I think that's... They're how- not joining NATO to become a democracy. They're joining, they want to join the European Union to help their economies and, and democracy, but they're joining NATO for security. NATO but, is not a democratic... NATO is first and foremost a security alliance. So they're they're doing it for no, security reasons. But when NATO were, not, were formed in 1949, um, it was for the security and uh, uh, political uh, 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 security of their allies, whether it be done politically or militarily. That's a fact. That's how NATO reformed. The point remains is, why do we need more than 30 countries in NATO? There are countries in NATO that are not under threat from any other country. Why do we need to keep expanding NATO? And why can we not believe in what Ernest Young said, what other, dip- what other diplomats in both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party in America have said that it is fraught with danger bringing NATO to the front door of Russia? Uh, that's not coming from me. That's coming from uh, 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 politicians in America who would be vehemently opposed to Russia. Yes, and as I've said, it's not a matter of NATO moving eastwards. It's a matter of these countries trying to to join Euro-Atlantic structures because of the aggression that they feel on their east. And this is not a an abstract aggression. This is an aggression which has, as I said, seized territories, killed thousands of peoples in the last couple of years in Ukraine, and is threatening now through its its its, its armies to, to to do the same again. So, uh, I mean, it's quite clear in terms of Ukraine from where the aggression comes, and it's f- quite clear for most Ukrainians from where they might get protection. I think I think. I think that's not in doubt at all. Okay. No, uh, but, John. But I don't doubt that. But I do think that there, we, there's a sizable Russian population around us, but, but there's also 145 million Russians who feel threatened by all of the countries that have left the Soviet bloc that have joined NATO.
you know, this isn't and shouldn't be about Russian insecurities, which John Halligan has outlined in some detail. This is about Ukrainian insecurity. This is the country which has been annexed and invaded and occupied in the last couple of years and now has a huge army on its border. Uh, rather than trying to figure out how to assuage Vladimir Putin, uh, we should be trying to understand how we can best support Ukraine in its hour of, of need. And of course, it's a very desperate situation for Ukrainians right now. They see diplomats leaving. They see people uh, being called upon to leave the country, including, of course, as you know, the Irish government has called on Irish citizens to leave. So everybody's leaving Ukraine. And it very much reinforces how they felt for many years now that when push comes to shove, they are on their own. Uh, they have a very determined uh, adversary in Vladimir Putin, but very uh, irresolute allies. And, uh, you know, John mentioned about Russia's 140 million people and we have to take into account what they feel. Well, you might say that to Vladimir Putin. I mean, this is a dictatorship. You know, if, if, if there is an invasion of Ukraine or rather a further invasion of Ukraine, it won't be the people of Russia who decide it. It's not a democracy. It's not Ukraine. It's not Poland. It's it's that it's, there's only one man who who counts here, and it will be he who's determined. And therefore, we have to ask why is he doing this? It's not a matter of why is NATO expanding. Um, you know, if you look at how NATO has expanded since the collapse of the Cold War, this isn't NATO expanding eastward. These are countries who are trying to regain their place in Europe after being occupied by the Soviet bloc uh, for decades. Uh, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, who all had uh, rebelled against Soviet rule during the Cold War, have now taken their place in the European Union and in NATO. And it's at their request as democracies to join. That's why they have joined NATO. NATO isn't going around there trying to find new members. Indeed, Ukraine has been asking to join uh, NATO for many years and hasn't been uh, that request hasn't been acceded to. If, if, if NATO was desperately looking for new members, they would have acquiesced to that. Um, they have they have given in to requests for these countries who are trying to escape a very abusive cycle of history, where uh, from the Kremlin, from Moscow, their their aspirations towards national independence, something as a small country which has long struggled for national independence against a great imperial power, we should be very empathetic towards, and certainly shouldn't find ourselves on the wrong side of history, as some people have done. There are many, of course, in Ireland who were also supporting uh, the Soviet Union during the Cold War as well and thinking, oh, you know, uh, perhaps the, the, what's going on in Eastern Europe is actually a reflection of the people's will there. And of course, uh, the Workers' Party, which John Halligan would know well, were sending people to East Germany and the Soviet Union along those times as well. And we now know, of course, uh, who was on the right side of history, the people themselves rebelled against those regimes. And I think that we have to be very firm here um, because when we talk about diplomacy and what will work with Vladimir Putin, uh, the only thing it has worked in the past, it seems, is deterrence. And if you look at a small country like Estonia, Estonia is a population less than the population of Dublin, but they sleep in their beds at night because they're members of the EU, because they're members of NATO. And by the way, make no, make no mistake, Vladimir Putin is equally opposed to uh, the European Union taking on new members in the region, not just NATO. In fact, the European Union is, is, is arguably a bigger threat uh, because of the economic system uh, it has, because of of the political type of system it has, he's afraid of having any other type of regime around him that's not a dictatorship. That's why his clubs, which are rivals to the European Union, like the Eurasian Union, like the Collective Security Treaty Organization, are made up of dictatorships, just like Russia. This is not, a, you know, to say that it's NATO versus or the EU versus Russia, as if they're somehow equal types of regimes or equal types of political systems, is absurd. And I think it should be called out. John, I might just come back to you there and touch upon some of the things that Donica just mentioned. And I mean, do you think we should have more sympathy for, for Ukraine? No, absolutely. Ukraine have a right to exist and, and have a right to be a democracy. I'm not arguing that point at all. 
the point I made, Donica makes the point about all of these countries that were subverted by the Soviet Union. That's correct. But all of those countries now, like Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and so on, are now independent. So it isn't the case anymore that Russia, um, that there is a Soviet bloc, but there is a NATO bloc. Now, it's interesting that even in America, uh, the famous diplomat um, George Keenan uh, once said that the expansion of NATO, NATO to the Russian borders could be fatal. And he goes back to promises that were made in 1990, uh, I think in a speech by George Baker uh, with Mikhail Gorbachev, that NATO would not expand up to the Russian border. And I think there's another point here, that if we look at America, uh, would America tolerate, for instance, if by some chance that some states in South America decided to join the Soviet bloc? They would not. Uh, they overthrew Salvador Allende in Chile because it, it was a socially elected government, a socialist elected government. They invaded Grenada. Uh, they invaded Vietnam. And I don't think America would stand by. Uh, they, there was there was the chance of a third world war over Cuba. Cuba's two hundred, one hundred and fifty miles, two hundred miles from America. Ukraine is on the Russian border. So if it stands for one, it must stand for all. And I, uh, again. Uh, it's America leading this uh, 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 venture to have more countries involved in NATO. Yes, yes, on the American borders, they would not tolerate countries that would be opposed ideologically to America, as they haven't done, in, as, they, as they haven't tolerated in, 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 in the past. And absolutely, I agree that Ukraine has a right uh, to independence and sovereignty. There's no question about that. But I do think, I do think that uh, there is no debate in Ireland. I think I'm the only one that has initiated the debate on do we need a huge NATO expansion? Where does it stop? It's the biggest, as I said earlier on, military force the world has ever seen. Uh, so m the point is that maybe uh, there is a, a, a medium of understanding here that if the Ukraine, for instance, were to say, well, OK, let's maybe not join NATO for another five to ten years, Put that up to Russia then and see if that is exactly the reason why they want to uh, invade Ukraine. Is it to stop them from joining NATO? So maybe to bring peace on that front for a few years, maybe if, maybe if there was a compromise along those lines there that Ukraine wouldn't uh, join. They have a right to join NATO if they want to. But you would wonder why NATO would want to keep expanding. And I once again refer to, would America tolerate it on their borders? They would not and they have not. Sonica, is uh, Russians' actions and attitude towards NATO understandable? Understandable only if you accept the paranoia of a dictator, yes, of course. I mean, like, uh, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know where to start when I hear about, you know, John says Ukraine has a right to exist. Well, that's not Vladimir Putin's position. Um, and and it's not all about America. I mean, it's like we're stuck in a, some Cold War narrative when we have we have the Russian troops on the border of Ukraine, poised uh, potentially to invade. And John is talking about Grenada, nineteen eighty two, and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, you know, it, this is happening here and now. It's happening in Europe. It's happening on the borders of the European Union. If you listen to Putin's narrative, and he's been at pains to, 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 to commit this to paper and in several speeches, he does not recognize that there is a separate Ukrainian people. To him, Ukrainians 
are some kind of political Frankenstein which are being has been stitched together in Soviet times and now it kept kept alive through 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 Western subventions and support. He sees Ukrainians and Russians as one people. And of course, if you don't have a Ukrainian people, uh, you, how can they exercise a, a right to self determination? Um, you know, it's it's and 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 in reference to World War II and how much Russia has suffered. I mean, Ukraine was part of the Soviet during during World War II, and no people, no no country suffered more during World War II proportionally in terms of losses than Ukraine. They lost about 6 million people, about 17% of their population uh, in Ukraine. Do they not have a right to security? We're, we're talking about how Russia's uh, feelings of insecurity must be assuaged. But what about Ukrainians? And as I said, people in the neighborhood in Estonia and Poland and Bulgaria and Romania, we've went through them all now, who are members of the European Union and members of NATO, are secure. Russia only expands into those areas where it knows are vulnerable. Uh, and when NATO expands, as I said, it's at the invitation, as it is with the European Union, at the invitation of a sovereign democratic government. When Russia expands, as it has done in the case of Ukraine, it does it not by invitation, it does it by invasion and occupation. And this is happening, as I said, in Europe in the 21st century. We have a state which has given itself the right to change boundaries in Europe arbitrarily, unilaterally, without any reference to any international forum, um, has, has supported all sorts of, 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 of Eurosceptic far-right parties in Europe trying to sow discord. And, and this reference that somehow, uh, and again, I hear John Halligan parroting it, that, that you know promises were given to the Soviet Union, which, by the way, no longer exists, um, uh, to, to, to not expand eastwards. I, I mean, I, I, I had a long conversation with uh, Edward Shevardnadze, the man who had that conversation with George Baker, um, uh, where this uh, conversation took place about NATO expansion and the, the reunification of Germany. And I had it in his, in, in his residence in Tbilisi, Georgia, which is his native land. Edward Shevardnadze was 15 years later, not even 15, 10 years after that, looking for Georgia to join NATO. You know, things didn't stop in 1990. I mean, in 1994, Ukraine had mi nuclear missiles. This is often forgotten. The Soviet Union uh, had a large nuclear stockpile and Ukraine got its share of it. And Ukraine voluntarily gave those up for a, a security guarantee from the Russian Federation that it would respect its territory, its independence and its sovereignty, which it has unilaterally uh, and, and outrageously gone back on. So I think the question has to be not, again, how we can assuage the uh, insecurities manufactured as they are of Vladimir Putin, uh, but how we can save and protect and defend Ukraine against this aggression, which it has been, is part of a much longer story uh, of, of Ukrainian-Russian relations. And Ukrainians have struggled for, for long periods of time for independence. They finally got it. And now they find that their, 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 their people cannot, you know, sleep in their beds at night for fear of, of a Russian invasion. There are troops in Belarus. There are troops in Donetsk and, and Luhansk and on the borders of Donetsk and Luhansk. There are troops in Crimea. There are troops in the Black Sea. This is, this is encirclement. You know, we hear about NATO encircling Russia. This is encirclement. And, and this is putting a, a people permanently under duress and under stre stress. And again, we have to be asking the Russians to explain themselves. It's not for NATO to be uh, a, a explaining why it, it, it's responding to requests to come and help. And by the way, one more point on this. I've been going to Ukraine for over 20 years. When I first went to Ukraine over 20 years ago, nobody was talking about joining NATO or indeed the European Union. It wasn't on the table. What has changed the minds of people in Ukraine is Russian actions and aggression towards it. Russia has created the very bogeyman of NATO expansion into Ukraine that it says it now fears because of its actions against Ukraine. And that was Donika O. Bakoin, Professor of Politics at Dublin City University, and John Halligan, former TD and former Minister of State. 
I'm Siobhan McGuire, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced and presented by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips from News Talk Breakfast, Shane Coleman interview with Simon Coveney, Sky News, BBC News, CNN, ABC News and CBS. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.